Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Paul Harvey's story, and of course, some riddles. So let's start out today talking about immigration. As you probably know, I know a lot about immigration, having been in the State Department and worked overseas as a consular officer. I've issued a lots of visas and uh, represented the United States uh, in a number of different countries. Later on, I was in private practice where I represented people with immigration problems. A lot of them were refugees who I got asylum for. And then later on, as a law professor, I taught about immigration. So I'm very high on immigration, and I just want to warn the listeners, let us not let our leaders try to do away with legal immigration. Now, there was a lot of talk in the last election about getting rid of illegal, undocumented aliens in the United States. That is a good thing to do. Some of them are criminals, but not most. Some of them are bad people, but not most. Actually, immigration is a good thing for the United States, and we've had a system that allows legal immigration that now has come under attack. It's been in our immigration laws for over 50 years that we can have legal immigration. That is, if you can come to the United States because of certain criteria based on your family or based on jobs that we want you to do, you may be able to get a green card and later on become a citizen of the United States. Of course, if you are born in the United States, you are automatically a a citizen of the state in which you are born, and of course, the country, the United States. Now, I've been involved with immigration law for about 30 years, and I've been surprised over the last year that a term has come up that most people never heard of, and didn't know anything about. It's chain migration. I talked about this on my last show. I'm not going to repeat everything I said. Chain migration is a pejorative term. The administration we have wants to curtail immigration, legal immigration, whereby people can bring many of their family members to the United States. But it's not as bad as it seems. If you are an American citizen... You can bring in your children, your spouse, and your parents who may not be citizens of the United States. You can bring them in as what's called immediate relatives. That is, there's no waiting, there's no quota. As soon as you can do all the paperwork um, and have an interview, perhaps your relatives will be given that green card and come in as an immediate relative. Thousands of people do it every year. I used to help people in Washington, D.C., where I lived when I was in practice. I would help them get over the uh, the American citizenship test. I'd teach them what they needed to know. I'd go into the immigration service with them and make sure they were legally processed. When they got their citizenship, I then turned around and helped them petition for their parents to come to the United States. It worked out pretty well. 
Now we have uh, people saying, well, we don't want chain migration. That's what they're calling. We don't want people to be able to bring their parents to the United States, maybe their wife, maybe their children, but we've got to put a limit on it somewhere. Now, again, I'm not happy with this. We have in the news this past week Melania Trump. She's, of course, the first lady of the United States, married to President Donald Trump. And she came to the United States as an immigrant. She's from the country of Slovenia, which is a country in Middle Europe. In 2000, the year 2000, her original name was Melania Knaus. She was dating Donald Trump. She had come to the United States as a model with a tourist visa. She says she didn't work with that visa, but later on she got what's called H-1 visas. These are professional visas that allow people to work up to five years. She was a working model. However, in the year 2000, she began petitioning the government for permanent residence in the United States. That is, she wanted to get a green card, and she did it under a program called the EB-1. It's for people of extraordinary ability. I have the law right here in front of me in the immigration law. It's in Section I and A, 203A. It says that aliens of extraordinary ability can be granted a visa if the alien has extraordinary ability in the sciences, arts, education, business, or athletics, which has been demonstrated by sustained national or international acclaim and whose achievements have been recognized in the field through extensive documentation. Now, again, we don't know that how Melania Trump got her visa. We don't know that she is of extraordinary ability. She had a lawyer, and probably a very good lawyer, when she received her Visa, it's called an Einstein visa by some people. I never use that term, but extraordinary ability means that you really have to be really good. Supposedly, in the more than a million green cards issued in 2001 when she got her visa, just 3,376 people were issued visas of extraordinary ability. And... um we don't know exactly what she did to prove that she was a person of extraordinary ability. The rules say that an immigrant has to provide evidence of a major award or meet at least three out of ten criteria, among them evidence of commercial successes in the performing arts, evidence of work displayed at artistic exhibitions, and evidence of original contributions to the field. Now, she was only a working model. She didn't do any of this, but she did, in fact, get this EB-1 Einstein visa. As a result, she finally married Donald Trump. After five years, she became a citizen of the United States. That's what the law provides. And shortly thereafter, she petitioned for her parents, who were in their 70s, who lived in Slovenia, to immigrate to the United States. They have been living in the United States legally, 
with their green cards, and she now wants them to become citizens of the United States. This is perhaps what they would call chain migration, but what is wrong with it? The word hypocrisy comes to mind. That is, part of the administration is saying, we shouldn't have this supposed chain migration. People should not be able to bring their parents to the United States if they become American citizens. But here we have the First Lady of the United States petitioning for her parents to come to the United States. They did come, and now they are applying for U.S. citizenship. Hypocrisy. I don't like it. I say the system is not broken. uh, Chain migration, the term chain migration, comes from the 17th century. And as I said in the last show, chain migration meant those brought to the United States in chains. Black Africans were brought from Africa to what was originally the colonies and later the United States in chains. That was the original chain migration. Again, the word in the, in the Constitution has 4,488 words. None of the words are slave, slavery, or immigration. However, in Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution, which is called the Migration Clause, who were they migrating? Well, chain migration, they were migrating. Black Africans. The section reads, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. So up until 1808, The Constitution of the United States said you could use chain migration to bring black people to the United States until 1808. That is legally because chain migration continued up until the 1840s. Now, we are with this new wave of doing away with legal immigration and keeping people out. We've crossed a line that I think is bad. Immigration is not bad for this country, it's good for this country. Many of the immigrants who some of our people say come from S-hole countries shouldn't be allowed in. Well, many of those people from those so-called S-hole countries are better educated than many people in the United States. Now, I could go on and on. I know a lot about immigration, and maybe I'm boring you with this, but we should be careful. Immigration has been good for our country. It brings people with fresh ideas, very often people who are younger. The statistics show that immigrants have less criminal problems and are less a drag on the economy than some native-born Americans. This is Birdsong. Think about what I've said. I'll be back with you for more. Hey, this is Birdsong back with you here on the radio. Glad to be here. I'm here to inform you and entertain you, tell you about some current events, and maybe tell you how the law affects some of those current events. 
Some of you may recognize or remember that this past week on Monday, we had a young man by the name of Sam Nunberg spouting off about the fact that he had been given a subpoena to appear at the D.C. grand jury by special counsel Robert Mueller III. Now, who is Sam Nunberg? Well, he's a 36-year-old former Trump campaign staff member. And uh, on Monday, after getting a subpoena from Mueller, as a matter of fact, it was a subpoena ducis tecum. That means you come to the grand jury and you bring some records with you that we want to see. Well, he went on cable TV and went on a rant for an entire evening talking about how he was not going to comply with this subpoena. He was supposed to show up at the D.C. Grand Jury on the Friday, the 16th of March. He said he's not coming. He doesn't believe that Mueller would do anything if he doesn't come. But I think he's wrong about that, and I think he's treading on some land that might be quite dangerous. Now, he was a Trump advisor before the election. He had been fired in 2015 for sending out uh, racist rants on Facebook and things like that. Trump fired him. He never worked in the White House itself. He's tried to get jobs there, but Trump won't take him back. He uh, has come on, and I don't know if he's being unglued or if he's trying to come up with some defense. But it's not a good thing for a person who's been subpoenaed to the grand jury to go on national television and say, I'm not going to honor the subpoena. And if Trump, uh, if uh, Mueller puts me in jail, I'll just laugh at him. Well, it's not a laughing matter. I used to work grand juries when I was a federal prosecutor in Washington, D.C., I have issued subpoenas and subpoena deuces tecums to get witnesses to come to the grand jury. Now, if you have a subpoena and you do not come, we can send the U.S. Marshals out to get you. And if we can't find you and you go into the, and do we do find you rather, and you decide that you're not going to cooperate, the special counsel or any prosecutor overseeing the grand jury can go into a court in Washington, D.C. and ask the judge for a contempt order that would allow the United States government to put Mr. Nunberg or anyone else who tries to blow off a subpoena in jail for up to 18 months. Why 18 months? Because that's generally the length of time that a grand jury sits. Now, He's uh, sort of egging Mueller on, go ahead and do it. You're not going to do it. I'm laughing at you. Well, from people that I know who have been held in contempt and go to jail for 18 months, they find it's not very pleasant being in a federal correctional institute for a year and a half. The food ain't good. Very often you are put in solitary confinement. You are moved from prison to prison. Usually you are in prisons far from your friends and relatives. It's not pleasant at all. It would be my suggestion that this fellow Sam Nunn would shut his mouth. That's the kind of thing I used to have to tell 
people I represented when I was a defense attorney and people I represented had subpoenas to go to the grand jury. Just shut up about it. Go in and answer the questions that you're asked. Now, Mueller has given Sam Nunberg immunity. That is, whatever he says in the grand jury won't be held against him. Any prosecutor or judge can grant immunity for these kinds of purposes. Now, he did this rant all night long. One of the people he talked to, one of the anchors, said she thought she smelled alcohol on his breath. He denies that he was under the influence of alcohol. He says, the only thing I've taken are my meds for, um, I guess, to relax him. So I don't know what's going to happen with Mr. Nunberg. At the end of the night, he said that, well, maybe I will go into the grand jury. And you know what? I tell him that's probably a good thing that you should do. Now, most of you don't know much about grand juries or haven't worked with grand juries. You can take your lawyer to the grand jury with you, but your lawyer cannot come into the grand jury room with you. However, if there's a question asked by the prosecutor or any of the grand jurors and you don't know or not sure whether you should answer or how you should answer, you can go outside of the grand jury room and talk to your lawyer. Usually there's a U.S. Marshal nearby to keep you from running away. So at any rate, Sam Nunberg, I don't know what you will end up doing. I think that you should go to the Washington, D.C. Grand Jury and do your duty. A subpoena is not an invitation. A subpoena is a document that says that you must show up and provide testimony. You heard it from Birdsong. I'll be back with you with more. So good to be here. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you. Happy to be here. We've talked some immigration today. We've talked a little bit about Sam Nunberg and the grand jury. Now it's time for some dumb criminal law stories. You know, I love these stories. They're all true. Part of what I do as a law professor, and it was when I was a law professor, I collected these for my students and put them on my blog. If you want to read my blog, you can go to www.birdsongsalaw, all one word, dot com. You can read some of my stories, or you can get some of my books on the Internet. Just go to leonardbirdsong.com. Some of the stories today are from Florida. Here's the first one. The headline read, he could not have been louder about his missing powder. He could have not been louder about his missing powder. While responding to a call about a burglary one Sunday in July of last summer, a police or police in Fort Walton Beach discovered an agitated man claiming to be a drug dealer in need of assistance. David Blackman told deputies from the Okaloosa Sheriff's Office that a thief had broken into his car and stole $50 in cash and a quarter ounce of cocaine. Authorities confirmed that the items seemed to be missing from where the 35-year-old said he put them. However, however rather, however, the deputies were able to help Blackman locate a second bag of cocaine that he had left on the center console at which point they began, what, reading his Miranda rights. <laughs> Deputies also found a crack pipe, 
and a crack rock inside the car. Blackman was charged with felony possession of cocaine and possession of drug paraphernalia. The idiot was released on $4,000 bond. He could not have been louder about his missing powder. <laughs> They're dumb. That's why we catch him. Another story from Florida. The headline reads, Ugh, from butt to mouth. A woman charged with heroin possession gained more charges when jailers found a bag of meth in her butt, according to authorities. Summer Adamson, 30, was originally put under arrest after police found a syringe and heroin in her car. As she was being booked in jail, into jail rather, as she was being booked into jail, Adamson pulled the baggie from her hindquarters and put it in her mouth, but not fast enough for Collier County Sheriff's, Sheriff deputies to miss it. Another charge was added, and to jail she went. Another story from Florida. Here's the headline. His excuse didn't smell right, and yet... Uh, deputies stopped and pulled over a driver for expired tags and smelled marijuana. The driver insisted it was his gloves that smelled like, smelled like marijuana. It appears that Anthony Macias, 33, it appears that Anthony Macias, 33, may have been correct when he told Monroe, Monroe County Sheriff deputies that his gloves have a similar smell to marijuana. There was no marijuana found in the vehicle. However, deputies did discover 16 grams of cocaine in his Ford truck. An arrest was made. <laughs> his excuse didn't smell right, and yet. Uh -huh. Florida. Headline. Beach ban. A 73-year-old man was banned from a Florida beach after a parent complained he was handing out business cards that read, quote, Sugar Daddy Seeking Sugar Baby. Richard Basak. Bazaraba, Richard Bazaraba must stay off the beach for six months for violating an ordinance that prohibits soliciting on the beach, according to Volusia County Beach Safety Captain Tammy Maris. Bazaraba said he was devastated by what he called an overreaction. He allegedly handed an 18-year-old girl a card that featured a picture of a young woman sitting on the older man's lap. <laughs> We can see why there's a beach ban. <laughs> All right. Dumb criminals. There's more from Florida. The headline read, Peek in the police car before trying to steal it. A young moron tried to force open the passenger side door of a police cruiser with Fort Pierce police officer Robbie Troutman sitting behind the wheel. The suspect, Aaron Rodriguez, 20, took off, but Troutman and fellow officers made a quick arrest. Yes, yes, yes. Peek in the police car before trying to steal it. Here's a silly one from Florida. The headline for this one, they couldn't cut the mustard. A group of boneheaded and half-witted bandits were arrested after they posted video footage of themselves stealing hot dogs. 
One of the young men was seen online on video munching a hot dog at a 7-Eleven in Jacksonville, Florida, then bolting the store without paying, according to police. No arrests have been made. Another Florida story. Headline, Cookie Monster. A man arrested for allegedly smuggling 11 ounces of cocaine in a Cookie Monster doll. Camus McNair is his name. He's 39. He lived in Key West, Florida. He was pulled over by sheriff's deputies for overly tinted windows. And when the deputy smelled marijuana, he searched McNair's backpack in the car and found it heavier than usual. Why? Because there was a doll in the backpack that had 11 ounces of cocaine in it. Sheriff's deputies made an arrest in Monroe County. <laughs> All right. Another story out of Florida. Hotsy Totsy Irony is the headline. A woman was arrested for allegedly leaving her child in a hot car, then complained the entire way to jail that she was too hot. Colleen Walker is her name, 30 years old. She left her five-year-old in a hot locked car while she shopped for 30 minutes, according to surveillance uh, videos in the store. Quote, Walker was complaining that the back seat of our patrol car was too hot on her way to jail and asked the officer to turn up the AC. South Dakota, I'm sorry, South Daytona Police Lieutenant Dan Dietrich said, Irony at its best. <laughs> Hotsy totsy irony. You know, folks, these stories are all true. They never go away. Here's another one from Florida. Bang, bang, says the headline. A man in the city of Hialeah was not happy when multiple AT&T work trucks parked in front of his home. Unfortunately, he did what he thought was the only reasonable thing to do. He pulled out his gun and shot out multiple tires and engines before he was arrested, according to the Hialeah police. <laughs> my, oh, my. There's more. Here's one, another one from Florida, Lakeland, Florida. The heading for this one read, Yokes on Them. Yokes on Them. Two young pranksters who thought it would be fun to throw eggs at a bicycle rider ended up in handcuffs after their alleged target, an off-duty police officer, chased them down. Lakeland, Florida, Lieutenant or Police Lieutenant Michael Lewis was cycling during his lunch hour when he felt something hitting the back of his helmet. The officer then called for motorized backup to pursue the young men in their car. We learned that John Stone and Hunter Jones, both 18, were arrested on misdemeanor charges. The yokes on the... Get it? <laughs> the yokes. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Massachusetts. Headline, what a dummy. A driver in this state was stopped and fined for trying to slip into a carpool lane with a mannequin riding shotgun. Todd Glidden, 44, of Redding, Massachusetts, was given a ticket when the police officer noticed his plastic companion decked out in a hoodie and sunglasses. What a dummy. <laughs> Story from Michigan now. No, no to do-it-yourself pest control, read the headlines. 
A man tried blowing up a bee's nest in his garage with fireworks, but burned down the entire structure instead. Grand Blanc Township homeowner Mike Tingley said he was just happy that no one was hurt, authorities said. <laughs> Where did we get these people? My God. Here's one. We'll leave Florida now and go on to Georgia. Here the headline, B. Bumbler. B. Bumbler. A man's attempt to burn bees out of their nest backfired after his stupid method of extermination set his home on fire. A county deputy fire chief said the homeowner lit a stick on fire, then tried to poke the flaming stick into the bee's nest near the roof. Unfortunately, that set fire to a part of the house, with flames spreading through the attic and engulfing much of the entire house. There were no injuries, but the fire charred the entire roof. My God, how silly. <laughs> Poking a flaming <laughs> a flaming stick into a, knee, a bee's nest. Good Lord. All right, let's see what else I have here for today. Here's one from South Carolina. The headline says, she was able to stick it to her kidnappers. It has been reported that Jordan Dinsmore, 20, was grabbed by three men who forced her to drive them in her car because they didn't know how to work the stick shift transmission. So while driving, she threw the car into neutral, bringing the car to a slow crawl and allowing her to safely jump out. The three suspects were ultimately arrested, and she says, quote, I'm going to be driving a manual for the rest of my life, end quote. She vowed that once the system, she, she vowed that once the suspects had been arrested. Here's a strange one from Tennessee. The headline read, She'll be in the big house over the dollhouse. A woman tried to steal a dollhouse worth $1,000, but couldn't fit it into her automobile. Kingsport, Tennessee police released a security video showing the frustrated bandit struggling with the dollhouse, which she stole from a storage unit. Eventually, she gave up and took off in a black Oldsmobile Alero. No rest has not yet been made. <laughs> Another one from Texas now, from last summer. Headline, Watermelon Man. A truck stopped at the Mexico-Texas border was allegedly carrying only refreshing summer watermelons. Nevertheless, Officials pulled over the refrigerated tractor trailer for a second inspe inspection at the Far International Bridge in mid-August of last summer. Stashed among the watermelons, customs officials found, what, 2,304 pounds of marijuana worth about $460,000. Yes, an arrest was made, and both the melons and the marijuana we're all confiscated. <laughs> all right, this is the final one today. This last story comes from Canada. The headline, Projection Scream Madness. Projection Scream Madness. 
It's been reported that a moron recently tried to hold up a motel armed with a projection screen. Surveillance video showed the masked man armed with a long cylindrical tube demanding money from a motel clerk in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Now, this happened on one Tuesday in August. When the clerk refused, the man ran off with the old-school projector screen that may have been used in a 1980s elementary school. (laughs) Projection screen madness. Boy, there are dumb criminals out there. This is Birdsong. We'll be, be back with you with more. Stick with us. Okay, this is Birdsong back with you. Happy to be here on the radio. We've talked a little immigration today. We've talked a little bit about the D.C. Grand Jury and what you should do if you get a subpoena. I hope you don't. You heard some dumb criminal law stories that I collect. Now I'm going to have some trivia questions. Usually I end the show with some riddles. But because last week the Oscars were on, and I like the Oscars, I'm an Oscar a movie buff. See if you can figure these out. Who has hosted the most Emmy Awards? Or nope. Who has hosted the most Oscar Awards? Can you figure that out? We know that Jimmy Kimmel has hosted the Oscar Awards for the last couple of years. But do you know who has done it more times than anyone else? Also, do you know who is the oldest person to win an Emmy Award? And finally, do you know who's been nominated for Emmy Awards more than anyone else? We'll come back and see if you can figure them out. Who has hosted the Oscar Awards the most who is the oldest person to win an Oscar, and who has gotten the most nominations for an Oscar. But before we get to that, let's hear a little story. This is a Paul Harvey story. I like Paul Harvey. He was a great broadcaster, and uh, his son wrote these stories, and he talked about them on the radio. I used to listen to them. Now I'm going to tell you some of them. This particular story is called The Bully and the Boy. It was Bavaria, 1934. It was the wrong time and the wrong place to be a Jew. And Heinz was a Jew. The little Bavarian village of Firth was already overrun with Hitler's young thugs. To be a Jew of any age was to be a target and Heinz was only 11. It was the first minute of a black hour in European history. Some fled before the clock ran out. For many, time stood forever still. But Heinz was one of the lucky ones, and he would take with him from that place of creeping horror an indelible lesson with which one day he would make the whole world less dark. One day he would make the whole world less dark. Tradition, the song goes. Heinz's father was a school teacher, as had been his father before him. Tradition. The percepts of Judaism 
were carefully handed down from one generation to the next, and Heinz learned them well. The observance of the Sabbath, of Rosh Hashanah, of Yom Kippur. But for Heinz's parents, those ancient traditions had gained a new importance. They were a means of teaching their children self-control at a time when sudden impulse could be dangerous. In the beginning, it was different. Heinz started out in a cozy, close-knit little world. He vastly preferred soccer to school. A happy, often mischievous child, there were always tricks to play and pigtails to pull. He was an undistinguished student, expounding at great length and with great flourish only when he knew the answers. But Heinz didn't always know the answers. Then that black hour descended, as it always does, one second at a time. Heinz's father was dismissed from his teaching post. There were fewer and fewer soccer games. Heinz was expelled, forced to attend an all-Jewish school. Slowly, the playful, exuberant boy became more cautious. Slowly, the streets became a battleground. Hitler youth roamed everywhere, but Heinz remembered that he had been taught. But Heinz remembered what he'd been taught. There was no such thing as a sudden impulse. When a gang of bullies approached him on the street, he'd cross to the other side when he could. Sometimes a beating was unavoidable. Sometimes it was not. Whatever the case, he must not pick a fight, and he must not speak up. One day, the silence was broken. One day in 1934. Eleven-year-old Heinz was forced into one of those inevitable confrontations with a Hitler bully. But this time, for the first time, he started talking. Perhaps it was about anything and everything. <laughs> and perhaps Heinz himself didn't remember how he talked his way out of it, but he did talk his way out, and that was important. Today, Heinz recalls his childhood in Bavaria. He says, I was not acutely aware what was going on. For children, these things are not serious. The political persecutions of my childhood are not what control my life. That part of my childhood was not a key to anything. Well, maybe. Or maybe the boy who talked his way out of a beating learned something that would one day be valuable to all of us. Gratefully, Heinz and his family escaped Bavarian time, made their way to America. Even there, he would cross the street whenever a group of boys walked his way. He'd been preconditioned to expect violence, I suppose. But he never forgot how to talk. And if indeed the pen is mightier than the sword, for Heinz, the spoken word is more powerful of all. You see, the Americanized, you see, he Americanized that Bavarian name when he arrived in New York. And Heinz, who had negotiated that first peace settlement for himself, ultimately devoted his life toward a more peaceful world. Who was he? Henry Alfred Kissinger. Still alive at 92. Now you know the rest of the story. This is Birdsong. I hope you like that rest of the story by Paul Harvey. Glad I could read it for you. Now, I gave you some 
some information here, and maybe you could guess. They're not exactly riddles, but they're things about the Oscars that some people know and some people don't know. Who has most, who has hosted the most Oscar presentations in the 90 years of the Oscars? If you guess Bob Hope, you are right. He has hosted a whopping 19 times between 1940 in 1978, Bob Hope, the MC, who emceed the Oscars for 19 times. Who is the oldest person to win an Oscar? Well, if you miss, if you guessed Christopher Plummer, that's right. At 82, he became the oldest winning actor ever when he nabbed the best supporting actor for his role in the movie The Beginners in 2010. All right, the last one. Who has been nominated for an Oscar more than anyone in the history of the Oscars? If you said Meryl Streep, you would be right. She has been nominated for Oscar awards 22 times. She has won the Oscar three times, twice for Best Actress in Sophie's Choice and The Iron Lady, and once for the Best Supporting Actress in Kramer vs. Kramer. Hope you enjoyed the Oscar presentation like I did. I'll be back with you next week for some more information and entertainment. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. You'll learn something, and you'll like it.